Hi, I'm sitting here with the lovely Shalina. And I'm sitting here with the lovely Neka. Welcome to What's Your Safe Word? A podcast about declarations of resistance by us, Women at the Center. Okay, listeners, you need to pucker up because this is the part of the podcast where we feature the sponsor of the week. This week, it is the manufacturers of my favorite, absolutely favorite lipstick called Devil's Blush. I want you all to go out, buy this brand of lipstick. It is the best red, rouge, hot, sexy brand. Anybody who wants to make a hit, to make your face just glow, you need Devil's Blush Red Lipstick. Manufacturers, this is now to you. Get in touch with us at podcast at womenatthecenter.com and this spot could be yours. So, Shalina, what are we drinking? We are drinking Adamo Winery and this is a white blend, 2017, called Whipped. And I hope it tastes good. It's all the way from Caledon. Smells lovely. Mm, it's delicious. Oh my god! You like that one? This is a party. <laughs> in party your mouth? In my mouth. <clears throat> this is That's way to perfect. Do it. This is lovely. So, <laughs> let's do our check in. Yes, let's. Do you want to start? Sure, I can start. Um, so, I'll start with mental health. Mental noise, well, one and the same, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> my mental noise today is a conversation that I had with my grandmother in the car yesterday on the way to a play. We were taking her for her Christmas present. And um, it was very harmful. And How old you, grand? 80. She's an old girl. Okay. Um, But she was talking about one of my friends who is my best friend, who is a gay man, and how I shouldn't be friends with him because of his lifestyle choices is what she used. Um, And because he was friends with my partner first. So she was saying that he should remain friends with my partner because my partner is a man. And I should only entertain him when he's around with my partner. And so... It just, it brings me back to how far we have come Mm -hmm. and how age plays such a factor in a lot of uh, knowledge that I don't think that we like, you know, go into as much anymore. Um, But it was a very like harmful conversation. And like my sister was there with me who's six years younger and we both had to like stop her and say to her quite a couple times, like, what you're saying right now isn't okay. And, like, you're not understanding these specific things, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, yeah, that was my mental noise. Having to deal with that, uh, my mom is in the same boat right now. They're, like, I'm not really sure what they're doing, thinking that they can. Do you reckon it's an age thing? So your grandmother being in her 80s? It's an age thing, but it's also, like, a privilege thing. Like, she hasn't had one ounce of... I shouldn't say that, but I mean, like, the way that she presents and the way that she is taken up by the world hasn't given her one ounce of um, thing that she's had to overcome, you know? So, 
it's a privilege thing. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know where this is all just stemmed from all of a sudden in like the last month, but it's problematic. And like trying to unpack that with like people that aren't comprehending or even don't even have the capacity for like the words that you're using mm -hmm. has been like a struggle. And so still facing that with like my mom who has, I don't know, similar concerns and then my nanny. So that's mm -hmm. my mental noise right now. I hear you. And I don't want to minimize it all by sort of relegating it to her age, but that is an issue, right? A certain generation, their view of the world is a little bit myopic and their understanding of issues that you in your late 20s, early 30s, and her in her mid 80s. I mean, that's a huge, it's like a yeah. millennial. But she's like, she's going back in time because my mom, when my mom divorced, she went, she became interested in a woman, was in a relationship with a woman for like 10 years. But did your grandmother accept it? Well, no, they didn't talk for like years, there but then that woman became a trans man. And then it's like, absolutely, like my nanny would talk about it and would like discuss it after coming back to talk to my mom after like five years. And then it was like something that they would talk about and my nanny would like, she was opening up and now it's like they've gone way back in time and I don't know like what in the world has done that. Yeah. So anyway. But it's not, it's not your issue to... Um, no, it's not. Yeah. My mental noise is to do with a, a tweet that I saw yesterday about a young black woman who apparently in 20, 2018 had been a pregnant young black woman in Alabama had been shot in her stomach and um, the, babe, the fetus didn't survive and the police decided to arrest her for manslaughter and just trying to understand the mindfuck, yeah. right? That you could, you are responsible for a fetus that, you're responsible for harm that's caused to a fetus that you didn't, you didn't cause. Yeah. And how society is actually okay in Alabama to hold this innocent woman accountable for, um, a termination of a pregnancy that she didn't cause yeah. but they they're holding her responsible because apparently she started the argument right. and the whole <clears throat> sort of roll around how black women are again passed out is we are we are carriers we're not people of our own rights we're just incubators of, uh, yeah, of yeah. yeah that that really that that upset me in ways that I didn't know I could be further upset, but yeah. it really, that was a mindfuck. So that was my mental noise. Yeah. And I, on top of everything else that's happening in the States, that just seemed to just add the little bit of shit on top of the shit pile. Well, there's so much conversation about that, right? About how it's not about the fetus's rights, it's about taking away the woman's, woman's rights. rights. Yeah. 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 Um, we can go on to our success. Yep. Um, my success is, this weekend, uh, I've started developing a lot of relationships with people, and I think that those, it's interesting when you have old teachers, right? So like parents, maybe, you know, pastors or religion or school or things like that, and then you start growing and you start meeting new people, 
and then new people become your teachers mm. and your whole like vision of the world changes and the and the way that you can um, be seen by different people and the way that you can express yourself to those different people so I think my success this week is getting to know different people um, getting new teachers and being able to discover parts of myself that um, have long been hidden or like unable to grow I love that I really love that uh, my success is a little bit and I'm trying not to make it ego-centered but my success I think is in creating a workspace where young and elders because Janet corrected me with the last yes. time where women identified people can come in and feel welcome and feel safe and we have to unpack that word as well but feel like they want to be here to do the work and as I was thinking about the, our lovely guest who we're going to be talking about in a, in a minute but just the fact of being able to reach people right beyond beyond our own networks but go outside and reach people and connect with people and then bring them into a space where they themselves can feel they can see themselves they can identify and then they they are free to say whatever they they want to say and especially in the context of the work around violence against women which we know and you know is not doesn't have a lot of you know executive directors who are open to this type of engagement. So I feel that it's a huge success to actually cultivate this culture of openness and fierce independence and autonomy and doing what you want to do, doing what you love, and then seeing all the work that we're doing. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I, I just I think it's a really, really challenging thing and that we're doing I'm doing very well. So I'm patting myself <laughs> on both shoulders. <coughs> And I think one thing that you just said there, uh, you talked about violence against women, and we're going to change that language. We are. To male perpetuated violence. Good to see of you. Because if people want to talk about binaries, we're going to discuss who perpetuates the violence. Exactly. Um, because a women, women identified folks, gender non-binary, and especially trans people, are the people that take the violence, right? Exactly. And so we don't want to just pin that down to women. Exactly. Um, and then my gratitude is to be here. I missed yesterday, and I love. Oh, my we missed you yesterday. And I love my work, and I love my coworkers, and I'm super grateful to be here today. I'm super grateful for our guest making it here today, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, my gratitude is this and this podcast, and seeing Amanda again, yeah. our producer. Amanda. Um, we haven't seen her in a few weeks, so uh, my gratitude is all of my team yeah and i actually not to steal that but my gratitude is to, to the team as well i was saying it earlier on today that i i look at all of you as my daughters from another mother <laughs> that um the way you all show up and support not just me but support each other is just it's just it's transformative it's beautiful so I'm grateful for all of you, and I'm looking at Nicole, <laughs> and uh, the way you you just love 
being here and the way you just love each other and love the work and I think it is that's what's transformative so this is awesome yeah love fest yeah you just said that you're looking at Nicole and we just want to let our listeners know that even though it's Neka and I talking and we have a guest here today the collaboration of our team is so strong that we do have a bunch of people here watching and being in on this conversation Hey! <laughs> because because it is so important to us and the work that we do yeah. and um, things like that. So yeah. we want to thank everybody for being here today. Um, so we're going to introduce our first guest. I think we should. Our only guest. Yeah. Uh, well, she, she's the first guest of the, of the series. Indeed. Oh, that's right. Indeed. And I, I think that it is, I am so personally honored that the first person that's not part of the organization yet that uh, has come in all the way from Ottawa is a super 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 fabulous young woman called Jade Peak and I am so honored because okay so here's a history I met Jade um, Jade and I both sat because it's past tense now we both sat on the federal government's gender gender based violence advisory council uh, with minister Mariam Monsef and right from the time I met her about a year and a half ago I, I, I love you. I just think you are brilliant, you are bold, you are beautiful. I came in, I told my team that you need to meet her and we need to figure out a way to bring her over because everything she says is just, it's just inspirational, it's brilliant. And so Jade is here with us all the way from Ottawa. Um, I want to actually have you introduce yourself because I don't think any of us can do it justice. justice. <laughs> Welcome Jade. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> We're really, really, really excited to have you here today. I'm really excited to be here too. Um, yeah, so you want me to talk a little bit about myself? Yes, eh? please. Yeah, um, so long ago, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, no, um, so I'm Black and Mi'kmaq First Nations. I'm an artist, as Neka knows, and uh, folks know around the table, um, uh, is is a lot of the work in which I do, which is an art practice and creating um, spaces and, um, and what those spaces mean for people who are inhabiting them. So, um, and you know, some people, their vices is sculpture. I did painting for a bit of time, but for me, it's around curating spaces and what is done in that space. So that's how I f- view my art, and that also informs the work that I I do. I, um, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Chipotle, Mi'kma'ki, um, and uh, I studied um, in art history and critical theory. Um, and I got involved in the National Student Movement with an organization known as the Canadian Federation of Students. And it was about five years of being part of that organization and uh, and in in enduring the the great work that happens across Canada, but also the violence that happens and the drama and the juice and the drama and, <laughs> and the, the students, uh, the drama, and then and then watching someone like Doug Ford try to collapse yeah. everything um, and a national movement that. Um, was important to me and the reason why I got involved was because of my own family members unable to access post-secondary and I remember walking in um, to my university for the first day and you know they get a food bank and they show you kind of where things are and I was like oh so I can donate food here and it was just this very moment which I look back on and I was just like 
look at me, someone who's in, who's coming from a privileged family who can afford post-secondary or at least get a loan uh, that mm-hmm. I still owe money for. <laughs> yeah. but, to, but to be like, I can j- drop food off, not recognizing that I would be homeless in about six months and going to that exact food bank. Yeah. And I... Um, and it was through um, dealing with sexual assault during that period of time and then also recognizing getting being frustrated with my own institution and also frustrated by my that the fact that my own family was not being rec- not just my family but black Nova Scotians were not being seen in the institution at all as students while there were indigenous students and Mi'kmaq students uh, when there's a black community five minutes up the hill really made me mad that got me really involved mm. in um, student union work yeah. how old were you when you got involved 19 I think I was 19, yeah. I graduated high school when I was 17. Um, I was supposed to go to Memorial University because Newfoundland tuition, yeah. <laughs> cheap. Uh, and my, There's a reason for that. Yeah, and I, I thought I had all the credits. You needed like five credits. And um, the guidance counselor was like, um, was like to me, was just like, people like you do better in community college. And I was like, and you oftentimes, and I, I've always hear people like you, and it drives me bananas. But mm. uh, essentially, yeah. And so I was like, like, but no, I want to go to Memorial University, you know, and so I saved up my money, I saved up to, for the application fee, because my mom wouldn't let me work until I was done high school, weird, 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 weird life, but I, so I saved that money, um, and I saved up about $200 for the application fee, paid the fee, and then by the times I um, ended up uh, finishing, uh, going to uh, my application process, um, they told me that I didn't have enough credits. Um, and my oh. teacher lied to me, and it was already graduated, so I had to take a gap year, and so oh then I just worked God. on my practice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Wow. So but, you didn't end up going to Memorial? No, I ended up going to NASCAD University, which is where I studied my bachelor, yeah. And no regrets, though? Um, some, some. Definitely, it was not an easy, an easy time, and I think that's where really my advocacy and my work came from, was being in that space and looking at the precarity of art practice, but also being in the center of, of art practice and specifically how that relates to my culture and, and, and relates to me. A lot of my curatorial work then became focused on um, Black and Mi'kmaq as someone like myself, Afro-Ulnu, um, but as well as my own communities. Um, I ended up, uh, it was important for me to curate a show which actually happened to be all Afro-Indigenous uh, individuals, Afro-Ulnu, which was called We Are um, We Are the uh, Griots, which was a um, uh, uh, um, uh, a, a show that was around contemporary and past work. So we had an artist, um, Michael Davies Cole, who was a um, transmasculine individual who was black and indigenous, black Scotian, and uh, and did work of uh, photography from the nineteen um, from the nineteen nineties and doing work around Godgen Street. And the work was around like ghostly images of people who mm. are ancestors who may have walked down the streets and kind of how gentrification has. Um, changed over the period of time and then we had a newer artist who was younger than myself um, who is now working for the Carver Center for the Arts in, in Nova Scotia um, um, Brie Miller and uh, her work as well was focused on self-representation through um, 2d mediums and so primarily mm-hmm. ink um, painting and, and that and then we our sculpture work but the space was meant as a catalyst to be like we haven't focused artists uh, queer artists black mm-hmm. artists we haven't really had a show that focused on these types of things since the 1990s, so it was important for us to. We got a lot of hubbub for it, but of course the institution used me as a as an advertisement as opposed right. to actually caring about the work. Yeah. Um, we had a snowstorm, so there was so we had a lower show. We only had four days. 
Hmm. And they threw all the people of color into one one week. One week. Yeah, it was if it was a fight just to get one spot. Yeah. 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 I wanna I wanna go back to what you said before when you were talking about um, getting into university, mm-hmm. and they said you know we don't accept people like you mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. and because you identify with more than one identity, mm-hmm. right? So you're Black Scotian. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also trans. Mm-hmm. Uh, when all those identities come together, how does that, do you know which one they're talking about? Mm-hmm. Or do you know which one, or if one of those identities is taken away mm-hmm. from you, how, how does that make you feel? I think that's a very interesting question, and I think my identities cannot be separated. And I think that no matter what the case may be, whatever the harm is will affect all of my identities, mm-hmm. right? And either it could be for a specific meticulous reason, the, you know, it's like um, impact versus, um, uh, intent versus impact. The intention mm-hmm. might be for something, but the impact and the consequences mm-hmm. of that could be way more. And so for myself, yeah. um, oftentimes I, transness, I, it's always like, you know, internally, while I know that my transness and my blackness are at the same level, they're, you know, um, oftentimes I will deal with anti-blackness, especially yeah. if I'm someone who appears as a cis female, um, but my transness plays every time I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Every time I, you know, go and look in the mirror, and I was like, oh, hello, hello. Let's let's look some. Every time I get dressed, try on clothes. Like um, my transness plays a lot when I'm home and when I'm with my own thoughts. So while yeah. I've developed coping mechanisms to deal with that, I can't deal with those things when I'm at home where that dysphoria lies. Well, and so the dysphoria is always there, but I push that away, and that's often because my dia- my um, diaspora, my anti-blackness is constantly on the pre- prevalent. And as a you know, as a mixed person of mixed identity, Mi'kmaq First Nations and um, Black Nova Scotian, me being black is the first thing that's read. So oftentimes, I've only ever experienced anti-indigeneity racism mm-hmm. when I'm practicing and visibly representing my culture with my drum, mm-hmm. or when I'm singing, or when anything of that course. But all the other times that I present myself, I'm viewed as a black person um, and so like going into an institution it was always around my blackness I was out when I was in um, grade 12 so I came out when I was about 17 18 um, but I took a very slow transition because I had to deal with my family and so I had to find ways in order for them to, to cope with it but by the, by the times I started university that's when I started um, uh, uh, investigating my gender expression, not my I, gender identity, but my expression of representing what my gender could look like and finding ways to cope. Um, and each time I ended up encountering either a sexual harassment or sexual assault, I kept having to modify it so I could protect myself. Hmm. Can you just explain to people listening that may not know what the difference between gender identity and gender expression mm-hmm. might be? Okay, I think it's I think it, it, it goes into three categories. There's your sex, Um, which is your genitalia. And I think we've gender genitalia, internal genitalia, external uh, genitalia, a penis and a vagina. And I think that that because those have been gendered and because gender-based violence has also, because of those gender norms, have now associated those things because oftentimes a a vagina is solely associated. And majority of women-identified folks do have vaginas, but then you have this this situation of uh, gender-based violence that is also based off of genitalia as well as much as it is about representation. And so you have your sex, which is what you're you're designated at birth um, based off of what you have, which causes complications if you're intersex. Then your gender gender, um, identity is what 
your whole entire body. So it's separated from uh, gender identity uh, because it is how you yourself as a being move through the world. In a world where there is no gender expression, you know, for example, two-spirited identity, roles in community, two-spirited folks who are, who are, um, who oftentimes a lot of them are trans, also non-binary, their roles were both feminine and masculine, masculine roles. And so those roles and what those roles in community, what those roles mean physically, what it means in, in the way in which you process and your brain processes, it's, it's very complicated. But gender is less about feeling and more about biological connection to oneself and about the way in which you are disassociating from yourself. So the way that I say it is, it's the diaspora of your body. Hmm. It's the diaspora of your, and you're sitting on an island surrounded by a foreign object, like a, like a cyborg or a robot. You're kind of like, everything feels artificial yeah. because it's not what you know I, I always say it's like a brain misfiring you're just like what what what's going on and you always kind of know it but you don't know how to identify it mm. and the way that you identify it is by those social dynamics that you're in and oftentimes I would hang out with women and realize for as a, oh I have that too I have that too and then consistently be told no and so even then I would argue even from a young age what my gender identity was because yeah. we sync gender identity with sex um, and and that Gender expression is something that is so conflated with gender identity because oftentimes gender, I, you know, um, it's sometimes it's hard for people to tell if someone's trans if they're, you know, if they're if they're non-binary if they're, and I think it's hard when we base things off of gender expression. Gender expression is based off of what we and it, gender expression looks different depending on if you're in the West, if you're in the East, depending yeah. on where you are. Gender expression looks very very different and it changes over generations and it yeah. changes over time. But I think that like the way in which gender expression for trans folks use they often. Um, we often will go with what is hyper feminine in order to pass and escape violence. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, for myself, I don't. I I've been using the women's washroom for about seven years, seven six six years now. I could never. First of all, I hate urinals, but I could never. <laughs> I could never actually comfortably sit into a, a, a male washroom because right. I've received violence from being in a male yeah. washroom by the way in which I present my gender expression right. because I'm supposed to protect myself. So when you're kicked out of the washroom, that you know, or you're moved and thing, it creates a it creates a, a, an opportunity for violence to appear. And so gender expression uh, is is kind of the way you manifest your gender identity. But once again, because gender is is, you know, people say gender is fake, the binary is fake. I think it's our expression is fake based off of who we are. And that's why I think the pronoun culture is so important. My pronouns are she and her. My pronouns are because that is just who you are. It designates yeah. how you process, how you think. And we're all very unique anyways. Not yeah. all not all cis women think the same. Not all trans women think the same. Not all folks feel the same way. But there are things that bond us together, right? And yeah. I think those that's what matters. And I think expressing, you know, I always say... Um, around pronouns, you know, pronouns are proper nouns. We, we can remember each person's name, that's a proper noun, right? And so if we're a pronoun, it's just an extension of your name. Instead of saying Jade, you're saying she, her. And I think it's like, you know, and, and oftentimes I was someone who's ignorant about many different pronouns, Zzer, they, they, them, um, uh, pair, per, you know, names, words that, and actually uh, uh, Z and Zer has existed since the 70s, while they and them has only recently been thing to be used. Mm. But people think that there's just all these names coming up, and I think, People choose names that they identify with, and I and like gender pronouns that are maybe non-binary, but because they're just like I I ain't, I ain't into all this that all of this. So I don't right. know what this is. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Um, 
I'm not going to be a part of that. And so, you know, it's some people will say it's a cry for help. Some will say that's genie. I think that's someone just being like, this is my name. This is who I am. Love me for who I am. And uh, it won't be that hard to recognize because if you love me, you want to, you want not even love me but you want to treat me as a human being well then you can remember my name so remember my pronouns so do you think going back do you think your indigeneity gets lost the most oof 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 why are you asking these questions (laughs) um no from others Obviously. Um, oh, yes. Oh, I was going to answer Not this completely your... different. Okay, um, take it however you want um, to take it. I think uh, from others. Yes and no. I think there is, there is uh, without going into a rabbit hole, um, while going into a rabbit hole, I think... Um, <laughs> I think what's important to, if I'm going to discuss about my mixed identity, it's important for me to talk about what the diaspora is for me, and because that's a that's a huge role in in the way in which I had made forcing to connect to my father's family and connect to the indigenous parts of my family, being raised black and also being raised by a white stepfather or a legal father. He's on my birth certificate, but um, my family has always been very very complicated, and so for myself, like I picture diaspora, I'm like the black diaspora diaspora or anything is like black Nova Scotians are have been in Nova Scotia for 400 years through four different migration patterns how many hundred because I think people miss that huh 400 years 400 years um six the earliest was 1604 and then more migration came in like 1630s between the 1630s and 1670s um in fortresses like Louisburg French fortresses as well as British fortresses and this also was the first migration but there were also settlements that happened in Montreal and there was also settlements that happened in New Brunswick oftentimes when we say black Nova Scotians we also include New Brunswick folks as a part of that of that of that thing um, and it's important uh, because there's that that wave of slavery that took place there's a wave of um, uh, what we call um, the loyalists the black loyalists is what Canada loves to talk about those who sided with the British um, and were promised land and promised um, not to be molested so disturbed and were able to create their own communities but the land that they were promised was not what they got um, and not realizing that they would have their homes burned they would be harassed for a long period of time but those were the loyalists that settled so there's a there's a there's a process of those who were slaves who were not free then you have people who were promised land trying to escape their own oppression to then arrive as arrivants on a land and then forced to settle um, and then you have and then you have the Jamaican Maroons that arrived in 1796 and then and then and then a few of them along with um, Sarah, uh, um, uh, along with um, uh, the loyalists uh, left and colonized a piece of land on Africa called Freetown, which created the Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. uh, part of the Sierra Leone Company. Um, so it's a legacy of colonization or re- uh, colonization of black freed people on a land of, of going back. And then and then you have the Underground Railroad in the War of 1812 refugees. Um, less so much the Underground Railroad, which Canada loves to talk about. That was mostly Southern Ontario. Um, um, prior to um, the um, 1960s multiculturalism change under Pierre Elliott Trudeau, which then brought in a wave mass migration of black people from the Caribbean. Um, but, um, but for black Nova Scotians, that's, imp- that, that's important. But I think what's really interesting about that colonization and how it relates to my indigeneity is I'm both indigenous. I'm indigenous being black Scotian and I'm being indigenous being Mi'kmaq. The difference is, is being indigenous as, as black Nova Scotian is I'm a I'm an ind- my people are indigenous people who have no home to return to. Mm. We could trace it back through whatever history from the just Jamaican Maroons 
we we are from the well some are from the Akan uh, tribe uh, which is now in in Ghana um, and the Ashanti tribes I can't go back up there and be like yo and there while there is back to the man land movements that exist it's not what our our ethnic group is so our culture and things are based off of the Christianization of our communities based off of our struggle and is based off survival which is why the term black is important but I but so it's indigenous people without a home to return to so you'll just have arrivants who are just there instead of settlers but I think what diversifies and creates a more nuance to this issue is that as um, as as a black Nova Scotian person um, who is I, I view diaspora and I told you I would tell you about it but it's like being on a boat and the minute you leave that boat, the, the island sinks. And then you're consistently trying to find a home, but you'll never find it. And the only thing that you can find is the people that are on that boat with you. Right. And that's, that is, that is, cool. you know. But then what you have is you have a boat and then you have all these other bigger boats that are all coming and surrounding around and they're all going in the same direction. However, they're able to, they're, they may be able to find land or they may not be able to find that, but you just have this small little boat surrounded by all these boats. And so that's kind of like the Nova Scotia, black Nova Scotian experience compared to the black experience, the way I view it, right? Because there are people who, who are arrivants as well. They were forced to migrate due to colonization of their own lands, yeah. but they still have their own lands and their culture that has been preserved, even with colonization affecting the aspects of it, just like the Christianization and Islamification of our, 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 of, of our many different indigenous peoples, um, for better and for worse, I think. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story that also affects my makeup. And yeah. so to get to your point, I think um, the way in which other view me, they view me as Black Nova Scotian, but I speak a bit of the language, I participate in my culture, and I was able to connect with family. Um, so there is anti-blackness within the Mi'kmaq community, okay. but it is not—it is not as bad as me being black and going to Cree territory or Treaty One territory um, or going out west where they have never seen black okay. people. And I think what's important is that, like, Black Nova Scotians' um, histories and Mi'kmaq histories are kind of very intertwined in a way. Most black communities in Nova Scotia are close to a reserve um, during like where, where Indian that was was um, put forward. There was also a lot of while well, Indian agents came in during the Indian Act and especially during residential school and took children out of their home, that was the children's aid program in Nova Scotia, forcing children into foster care systems, home for the colored children, and, and then having segregated schools, and then even continuing that practices up until I was going to school and dealing with that. So for myself, those traumas and those intergenerational traumas that have now impacted me made me really cling to be like, I am black. I am black because that is the racism I experienced. What allowed me to connect with my um, indigenous family, indigenous teachings, indigenous that was because I was learning the land that was here. It was allowing me to connect with a piece of me that was missing, that diaspora that was here that allowed me to connect with that and then gave me more clarity of my own black Nova Scotian identity mm. as, a, as a maybe indigenous people without a home, but the home is within the alliances and and, and, and and trust that has been built. Mm. And so I think that like for myself, yes, I don't mind if um, you know people just see me as black, but um, it's really nice when I can introduce myself and you don't know what I'm saying and then I can tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, I, like, yeah. I love I that. Just because I think, just so people listening as well know your yeah. kind of background as you're talking about it. So you said you were raised by your mom and like a stepdad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was your mom black? Is your mom black? Um, <laughs> yes, she's mixed. Okay, she's, okay. So she, so I have, um, so I have 
three parents. I have two dads and I have one mother. And, and my mom has um, different children with or different children, my siblings with different men. Um, my father was with my mom before I be um, uh, after I was conceived, but she was already dating him for a long period of time. Um, and so um, it's kind of interesting because my father is black and Mi'kmaq, but he's mostly black. Okay. And then my mom has um, uh, has British ancestry um, and then unknown ancestry. So whenever she decides to do that DNA swab, <laughs> um, um, but and then um, and then she's everything. My grandmother's black. Okay. So uh, I'm mostly a whole 100% Negro, um, which makes me very happy. Um, but um, it's it's uh, it's definitely very it definitely plays our role. I definitely the way that I dealt with my racism um, and my own internalized racism was because my father um, that who raised me was white in the military, yeah. and my mom was also could be white passing by straightening her hair yeah. or like doing that. Was I justified myself as half white, right. and which was never ever the case. I'm more indigenous than I am white, yeah. but I still was I, I was still clinging to that. Um, where, where, well, my light skinness didn't make a difference until I moved to Ontario, to be honest. It did play a role when I was in school, even though nobody cared, none of the white people cared. I would justify that as, you know, and, and this is one you hear all the time, the Oreo cookie, black on the outside, white on the inside. And so that's often what I got. And that's where I pull a lot of my Judith inspiration from. Yeah. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to meet Judith thank later you, on. Thank you. For, sorry. I just thank you. No, it, I think it's it, important. Like it offers, I think, some... Yeah, I think I and, I, and I think it's also very different because I was my mom was adopted as well. So she was adopted into southern uh, uh, um, near Newmarket, Ontario, um, back when it was all farmland, um, east of a place called East Gwellenberry. Um, and so she was raised there by a wealthy white family, and then she just because she was part of that '60s scoop of taking mm. all of the black children away. And I and I don't want to take that away from what indigenous children, but it did happen to black children. So yeah. my mom's family of ten were all separate; all the children yeah. were separated. And so my mom made a conscious choice when she was 18 with her first child, who was like two, go back to Nova Scotia and meet her biological family. So I was raised by my black family, and I was raised by my biological family, and then my dad's, my dad's. Uh, my like my legal father, the father of my birthday, the white dad, um, by his family, and so I would spend my time at home in a like pretty much a white community, and then I'd spend my weekends in church and everything with my black family, and then there was indigenous practices that were not part of my biological father's family, but practices because there were indigenous. Like, there's a lot of Afro Innu people yeah. in my mom's family to begin with, like my cousin. Um, I have a cousin who's Ojibwe and black like there's just like there's just a lot of mixture but I would so I'd be raised in my black community which is something that I, I think I appreciate being part of my life yeah. because I wouldn't be who I am now mm -hmm. if I didn't have access to culture yeah yeah I want to talk a little bit about because you dropped the word arrivant a couple mm -hmm. of times yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love for mm -hmm. you to explain to our listeners where you came up with that word what exactly it means and why it's such a critical word um, put out in the so, um, I so I had a uh, so it's 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 a it's a, a little bit of a long story, but I will I will cut it down to into clear precise things. So I was going to NASCAD University, and I had this wonderful white professor named uh, Dr. Carla Taunton, um, and so I took a lot of classes with her. And she and at this point, I knew a little bit about George Eliot Clark, um, and so there was this term. There was these many terms known as, um, like, um, terms around indigenous black. Indigenous black was a term that was used 
also um, and uh, and so but there was different and then Afro-Acadian and I really didn't like that term because that's specifically while black people have a relationship with the Acadians it's 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 different and I love Nova Scotia it's been I'm like we're not Acadian mm -hmm. and this becomes a trend and this is my rant and I've been waiting to anyways I will move to the <laughs> rant in a minute but, but Afro-Acadian was not the term and so we were, I was talking to her, and we were talking about words, and, and I remember mentioning the word arrive in, and I remember seeing it across somewhere, and then I was like, yo, this is, this is a black, this is the, this is the black Nova Scotian-like thing, you know? And, and I was so sick of, even as being a black person and black Nova Scotians, consistently be calling settlers when it's like, yo, a yes. lot of this came through, you know, through, we, while an arrive in can be complicit, either, um, either, uh, 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 either um, they can be complicit uh, intentionally or or unintentionally uh, complicit. Um, they can be within settler colonialism, but to actually call them a settler uh, is really difficult and actually very hard. And for me, that was very hard, not because I mixed, but because I was just like, this is not, this is not okay. And I and I and I hate to segregate what people are but I think it's really important to yeah. recognize that like that if we're talking about settler settler means to forcefully settle on a land yeah. and create a whole legacy you have people who are who were able to create communities that were consistently being destroyed yeah. but they were told that this was the only option and so I originally came like used it for black Nova Scotians it's a it's a it's basically it comes like French like it's just like the French spelling arrivant um, or mm. similarly pronounced um, and and so it's like to arrive and mm. so I'm like well that's that's Nova Scotians they arrived on this land and can they contribute to settler colonialism absolutely I know many I can list them on my hands mm. and above but what does it mean to actually arrive and what does the context of settler mean and I think what happened was is I, expand, I expanded that term um, especially after some other black folks were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we like that too, we like that too. And it was really hard because I was talking with lots of folks in Toronto who then, for m me at the time, was just like, well, you know, and, and me being very careful about my black Nova Scotian and trying to preserve that, I was like, you know, they were like, you know, folks were like, I'm like, well, you came here for school and then you stayed or you did this. And then, of course, I recognized that so, like my people it, it dealt with colonialism absolutely but there is still colonial like um, yeah. yo if you take a you know that section cup like the thing where you just yeah. like go on the continent of Africa it's like uh. like extract extraction of people extraction of of well and this is 400 years of a depletion of of land autonomy and language and all these things and now you have people forced to come to a western nation in order to to survive mm -hmm. yeah. and so that is a form of arrivement as well it's a different type of arrivement i would love to come up with a a, a specific terms for different this types of arrivements <laughs> but it's different than refugee which yeah. is which yeah. is a exactly. which is a legal term so because you know um the only arrivements that would be considered were the uh, refugees of the war of 1812 many of whom who settled in africville mm -hmm. so it's uh it's it's quite interesting to say that but it but it, but before i finish i think it leads to my point of like words mean a lot right and i think yeah. being a mixed person the term that george Eliot clark has come out with he's a poet canadian poet um i think he's done great work but i think the he you know, 
Um, so, uh, I get upset um, with some of the elders in our community. Uh, they started a new singing group and band and, and books and thing called the Afro Métis Nation, and it drives me up the wall. I think that like when we use that term Afro Métis, you're saying Afro mixed. I don't know what that means. Mm. I don't know what that means. I mean, even Métis is a word that specifically talks about the, the Métis Nation, yeah. both in Ontario and near the Red River and the Plains. Yeah. But I think that when it comes to the Métis of Nova Scotia, uh, and historically, are the Acadians. That's it. It's the Acadians. And if we're talking about mixed identity, of, uh, then I say Afro-Ilnu. I'm black and I'm of the people of Mi'kmaq. And so I'm like, if you're claiming an identity, if you're Afro-Métis, then I better hope you're black and you're from the Métis Nation. Mm. But if you're not, you need to be calling yourself Afro-Ilnu. How, I think it's really hard when you're claiming something, especially when there's a lot of misinformation. And this is for me, me it's about culture, me it's about language revitalization, me it's about carrying on that. But there are a lot of other people who believe that they're getting benefits from it and people who come in from wrongly. And I'm not saying this is George, but I'm saying there's a lot of people who will come from that. And it's like, if you're not actually claiming the language, if you're not actually claiming that the, the indigenous land that you're on and that your ancestry and that you are from and that your culture is then you're kind of doing a disservice to the indigenous people that are there mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating because it's like talking to a wall mm -hmm. and so I feel like just like the Afro-Acadian Afro-Métis there's such a there's such a stiff on French based terms as opposed to using the language of oh, the people's people. land that we're on. Yes. And that is why, and I just like, and I'm just like, I, I, I'm just like, it feels like common sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. Yeah, my, my dad used to say that common sense isn't common and it, yeah. and it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, just to go back on the black indigenous uh, bit, I was speaking to a group of black indigenous women mm -hmm. out in Edmonton who were talking about the challenges that, challenges that they were facing mm -hmm. with being accepted or not being accepted, not just by settler communities, mm -hmm. but by indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really curious of, about some of your experiences of the, the challenges of being black, a black indigenous woman and navigating anti-black racism on each inter intersection. Well, I think it's interesting because I think it, my experience, I've seen it both ways. I've, I'll tell them about my experience, but I think as an observer, there's a lot of anti-black racism that happens in indigenous communities. I've seen it in other communities. You know, I, I had a friend of mine um, who came up and uh, he was in the prison system and, and is doing a lot of good work. Um, and we were like talking and talking about this and he, and he, and he you know, he was in, in the best way possible talking about, you know, with being in jail as an indigenous man, but also being in jail with mm -hmm. like black mm -hmm. folks and the struggle of that and the, the, they're the highest population and indigenous women are now becoming the highest population yeah. in the prison system. That's and he's just like, and then he was like, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, seeing all these niggers in jail. And I was like, and of course I, I had a little toke, uh, you know, and I was like, and I couldn't get mad because I had to reevaluate myself and be like, is this intentional or is this unintentional? Mm. And is this a lesson moment? Because, because that's a cultural thing. That's a, something out west. They don't have black people living on the plains. Like, you, not really. You, now, yes, but not historically. While in Nova Scotia, you won't really see that. While there is anti-black racism, it's when you're on the land 
or if, if you're, you know, if there's like, there's lots of reserves like Millbrook where there are black people living on reserve mm. because they're either married into families or there's people who've had families and Afro, like Afro-Indigenous people um, uh, or Afro-Ilnu that are already there. So you, so you do see kind of that, but you also see a used to, I'm used to it. So in Nova Scotia, while you receive racist, anti-black racism from anybody, I think that there's a bit of that. But then within the black community, people are thinking that indigenous people got it easy. And that's not true at all. And so there's a, it goes both ways. But with this specific situation with my friend there, um, he meant, he didn't mean harm. But yet what he said caused harm. Yeah. I wasn't harmed by it, but it could have harmed somebody else mm -hmm. because I knew where you're coming from. But I'm like, this could hurt you. You could yeah. say it to the wrong person. You could get your face punched in, and then guess what? Both you and the black person could end up in jail again. Mm. And so it's like recognizing that, like that culture, you know. And, and it, I often find this happening in Cree territory. Um, loves the Crees, but there's a lot of like colored people. There's a lot of language that is so out of date and harmful. And there's a lot of Afro Indigenous people living in Winnipeg, and and just living in the prairies, which is be like but not like afro like nova scotian history but like people who are from like trinidad uh folks who are from like jamaica like who who have moved to these places and then have had children with and now you have this new culture arising and i think that like and that exists and for a mixed race child you almost feel like you are the person who's trying to solve the issues mm -hmm. you are the person who needs to resolve that and so often um, myself and uh, my friend Shanice Steele um, we're often having these conversations about what it looks like in both communities and how anti-black racism plays a role and to be honest it depends on how long black people have been there for and what does and, and what does the disadvantages look like and in Nova Scotia indigenous people and black people both have it rough you have a situation where you have indigenous people who have grown up in black nova scotian culture and so while they don't call themselves black they they move themselves in a way you know my friend michelle paul she was raised in mulgrove park which is basically once again a resettlement of black people and her basically her like surrogate mom was a black woman and so you have these these relationships that kind of have moved things now i will say this young Mi'kmaq and black folks are coming together like this and this has happened off and on the elders though it's it's a much more rough than that mm -hmm. and i think what you know and what i've i've had i've spoken to elders is that black folks often always show up for indigenous rights sometimes sometimes depending on usually the ones who have a little more privilege the ones not the ones who work for government but the but like but the some of the community members who are like i'm here for the movement but then when it comes to black issues, indigenous folks just don't show up. And I think it's that expectation that someone should show up for your harm or for, for harm or like for trauma. And I think, and for me, it's like, would I want to see that? Absolutely. But then I have to like play like, you know, and so there's that balance. And so a lot of elders feel very much like hurt by that. But now you have the situation where you have many mixed folks and you have many young people who are just wanting to come together and, and do that work. So you ha are seeing that. So I, I think that it answers in both ways where when you're in a long proximity with one another, there's, there becomes not only biological relationships, but geological uh, relationships and emotional relationships that forge. But then there are also when you are separated or you're new or you're in someone's territory or turf, then there becomes a situation of 
of um, misunderstanding, right? So I think that like that is that is a, a bit of a role that plays. But for myself, um, I've dealt with. I, I've definitely been gone to a powwow and have been looked, 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 looked at, and I'm just like. I've been in the sun for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it, do, why do you think that indigenous people don't show up for black people? Understanding that we are both under the oppression of the colonial patriarchal. Yeah. Um, I think there's a I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, um, black pubs and reses are very similar, but very different experiences, very different traumas. What's and a pub? Similarly, a uh, public housing, okay. public area, community, um, and uh, sorry, Scotian slang. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it the you know it's another word of saying ghetto, but I don't like that term. Yeah. Um, but I uh, but you know um, but communities, and so they're very different, but there's similarities. But I think. Um, why indigenous folks don't show up is that like for example you have indigenous folks on the front line as water protectors who are literally trying to not have their water poison not trying to have that black folks won't show up to that they won't they, they actually won't but they might show up to a movie screening or they might show up to like a rally that's centered in the area and I think it's I, I, I think it comes down to not only will but you know, um, I'll give an example that is unrelated, and then I'll get back to it. I was one. To, I, w I went to Dollarama. You know, I wanted to get some snacks, and it was. Uh, <laughs> and it, you know, I was like, I was hungry. I was coming from work, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get the. You know, those little strawberries that have the filled candies. I in love them. Yeah, I know. I saw one in the room there, and I grabbed it when I Thank first you. came in because I was like, Thank you. They didn't appreciate any of that. <laughs> And uh, so I love them. So I went in to grab it and I asked, it was voting day, so it was a provincial election. And I spoke to this black woman. I'm like, so are you going to go vote? And she was like, oh, no, I don't have time for that. I'm working. And I'm like, well, you get paid time off to go and yeah. vote. And she was like, no, I just, I, I just, like, I just, I just, I can't. And yet the voting station was only a little, not that far away. Yeah. But it was that aspect of, of uh, and so how I relate that is that, for example, there's a lot of, a lot of black people are there's <laughs> segregation yeah. Nova Scotia is very very segregated and I think that is what caused so while there are indigenous communities and black communities that are close together there are some that are not and when you have a lot of in urban in uh, black folks trying to to get out you can't get to these places right. you can't go you I have to even when I was trying to get down to Shubenacadie I could only I had to wait to get like someone who had a car and so you get the situation where you do want to show up but then but then you can't and I think this happens with indigenous folks as well where we're too busy fighting our own issues trying mm. to resolve our issues that are in our own communities that we don't have time for cross-cultural healing yeah. and I think yeah. my work has been around cross-cultural healing but I think that there needs to be healing within own communities and it's like it's like the it's like the the crumb mentality you know you get a little bit of someone jangles a little bit of crumbs and you're all fighting for yeah. it and I feel like that exists more else outwhere well in Nova Scotia that does exist a bit but like for example the huge conversation with the elders is reparations reparations this money this money that money and I think the, the frustration with that and the frustration with all that is that reparations if you're asking for money and economic wealth that isn't gonna do anything unless you have a, a like a structure and a program and I think this is there's a lot of people who need needs in Nova mm -hmm. Scotia um, at like black and indigenous but the needs are not 
you know, when you, it's the same type of things that are needed, but yeah. folks won't come together and actually have that conversation. And when they do, mm-hmm. it's, it's bad enough when the black community comes together in Nova Scotia, because you have black Scotians, you have Nigerians and everybody else, and they're beefing. So you, when you're talking mm-hmm. about like black liberation and black like, needs in it, because the Nigerians have the work and the economic, like, class well black nova scotians are still struggling mm. and they're like you came here five years ago why do you How have a come? business open yeah. why do you have that yeah. you're dark skin i'm kin light skin and now you're calling me a light skin what is going and so you have so this also exists within well you might be dealing with anti-black black racism from an indigenous person it, 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 it might be coming from one's trauma. Yeah. And so that's why there's a lot of work right. to bring that together. And the young people are doing that work. While yeah. the elders still have years and years of, especially since like the Black Panther movement was strong in Nova Scotia, activism was strong, um, especially indigenous, especially uh, indigenous resistances, especially on the rise of the Oka crisis, you have like folks who are really, um, who are rearing down for that. So you have like a skip of a generation and usually it's mostly the generation Xers that kind of had a lull in in organizing, especially like, and and like early millennials, especially early millennials, no. So you have this huge gap and then you have people who are baby boomers and then you have these young uh, late millennials and Gen Zers who are just having conversations, will show up in the same place but are fighting for two different things. Issues, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Uh, so can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about the types of emotional supports that you got from your family <coughs> as you were navigating? <laughs> Actually, Jade, first of all, how old are you? Because I, I think <laughs> listeners need to understand um, in number of years just how brilliant, when I say she's brilliant and bold, I think people will be shocked. Her, yeah. 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 23. 23. Yeah. 23. Oh my God. I rest my case. <laughs> I didn't know. I rest my case. That was worth it just for that response. I was born in 95. Oh my gosh. Right, Amanda. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess before you talk about the emotional support, can you tell us a bit of like your individual trauma or a time that you've had to deal with trauma and I guess how you dealt with it, how it's made you and shaped you into this kick-ass person. And I guess if then follow up, has your family has yeah. had any emotional support right. on that? I have to answer it in reverse. Okay. Um, uh, I love my, I, I have unconditional love for my family. I love them quite dearly. I've forgiven them for a lot. Um, hopefully they never hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel the same. I, my parents were very controlling, and while they loved me, the way I felt, the way in which they raised me was very harmful. I grew up in a very, very, very abusive household, um, one where cops were around all the time, ones where I lived with my aunt for about two years, was in respite care, was institutionalized, like, through, through and put on medication without my consent. Like, a lot of different things that were put on me, and a lot of my parents' frustration was directed to me. And so I, I, I kind of had to grow up very fast, and I really needed to 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 break out of this because while my parents were living in a middle class like environment the 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 way in which 
I was treated was very rough. And so the only time that I would be, and, and I then started associating that with whiteness. And so, um, because it was of course with my white like father that raised me, and then of course, which he's not my biological father, and then my mom, so, so it was, and then my sister was there. And so it was just like, and that caused me a lot of trauma for a very long period of time. So like all my childhood was nothing but trauma, 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 hard, trauma, trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, the, what what changed for me was finding ways to navigate it and move through it. And I had to develop coping mechanisms. It's hard for me as a person to cry, even yeah. though I can be very emotional. I that was the way that I dealt with that, and I got it, the, my tears beat the shit out of me. Um, so I, it's hard for me to cry unless I'm like desperate and I can't do anything anymore. So it's really hard for me as a cancer. I'm a cancer, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's a cancer. <laughs> Cancers are lovely, but they I are. can't emote anymore um, <laughs> except for my rage. And so then I turned to my rage. Yeah. And I think as an adult and as a young adult, my rage became my, 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 my not my crutch, but like my, my cross, you know, it became oh. um, a part of the way in which I mobilized, but the way in which my rage was expressed in different spaces and the way that I manipulated my rage is literally what it has allowed to give me strength right and I think yeah. for um, and I and I'll go back so my 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 emotional support mostly came through my chosen friends and mm -hmm. um, especially I feel like my life didn't really begin until I started high school and even then it didn't really begin until I started university and so for the past since 2000 and 14 2013 I never really got to I, I finally was able to find at least a bit of freedom freedom to think freedom to be who I am freedom to be the mouthy person freedom to because I was very controlled mm -hmm. and so of course you know I you know I'm I think in my family you know when you think of like a like a stereotypical family I'm that anarchist child who's got all the piercings mm -hmm. uh, even though my parents got more piercing I only got a face piercing or not face piercing a face tattoo um, but it's just like my but I was the one who's the protesting my parents call me very political you know yeah. on that but that was for me advocacy and on the ground work and community-based work was the only because that's what saved my life yeah so that's what drives me right for me it's like I had no hope I had nowhere to go things got really bad in um, my after like nearing the end of my first year of university things had repaired with my family for a bit of time then things broke down I was homeless I was assaulted and I didn't know what to do and I felt mm -hmm. betrayed by my family after all the years of trauma thought that I would finally move on from it didn't and then I was trying to jump from place getting kicked to the woman's shelter so I tried to find places to sleep eventually I, found, I got my key card working and I started sleeping at my institution at NASCAD and then I finally found a place and my friends took me in and uh, it was it was it was quite lovely um, but then you're in the couch surfing and you're doing that and yeah. I think what really drove me was community has always had my back especially the community of Halifax um, the queer community the white queer community the BIPOC queer community the black like my black family the indigenous community people especially in the urban setting really support the work there's like there's just some sort of magic and I think even more nationally and so for me it's like I, despite everything, you know, despite even my own family's abuse, at the end of the day, they still supported me through school. They mm -hmm. still signed a, um, 
uh, had a um, we had a contract, but I still was able to sign, um, get my loan taken out. I was able to access the loan, so I could go to school. So mm -hmm. I could then be in spaces where I was, you know, um, as Audrey Lord says, um, you can't you. Oh Lord, I'm gonna get this quote wrong. Yeah. Um, um, you can't use the master's, master's tools tool. to dismantle yeah. the master's house. Yeah. Um, but yet I still wanted those tools. Yeah. And for myself, being told that I wouldn't be good for anything, you know, back to when I first started talking about, you know, I kind of wanted to prove all that wrong. People saying you won't make it past grade nine because you have a mental disorder and my mental health. And it was all these different things. And I was just like, you know what? My trauma is actually just constant abuse. And so for me, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to plow through it off and I'm going to focus on proving everybody wrong. And so my drove came to proving my mother wrong, proving my teachers wrong, um, proving anything and being like, and at the point, even though I love my family now and I've forgiven them, I, for me it was all about, um, it was all about not only just proving myself, but also proving like being like this community once again saved my life. Mm -hmm. I need to consistently give back because yeah. I'm feeling better in my life, even though he still goes through stress. So for me, what's important is is for people to have opportunities or opportunities I never got to have. This is why I love working with youth. This is why I work, love working with young people. I love working with queer folks because for me, it's all about creating spaces so other people can have autonomy because I never got the autonomy as a kid. I never got the space to be free and be who I wanted to be um, um, because there was all that negativity. So for me, it's about creating spaces for other people to explore because I didn't explore that until university, like literally the last seven years. And so uh, for me, it's about I, I'm enjoying my 20s um, as as a person and someone who wants to grow. But if I can make 10 people, 11 people, 12 people be able to do the work that they want to do and have spotlight be seen, either have access to a system, um, like, you know, an institution, even though I'm like, no, institution. <laughs> but, but to have that access to make their own opinions and their own choices and make their own things, but recognize even in a space that they can do the best that they can. That's what I want. And so, and, and, and education. Yeah. And so that's why I dip my toe in curating. I dip my toe in education and lecturing. I dip my toe into art practice. I dip my toe into advocacy and policy. It's a little mishmash, but it's because these all things are things that impact community yeah. and they're mm -hmm. things that make me happy. Yeah. Um, because for myself, I may not be able to cry like I used to, but I know that I can still be able to give my all. Mm -hmm. And you know, my sweat is just as important as my tears. Mm. Yeah. I think that was, well, so important. Um, I think. <laughs> no, I'm emotional. <laughs> I think it's so important to uh, talk about the ways in which we all survive. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing an initiative around sexual assault, mm -hmm. and one of the big things that we illuminated and we focused on was care mm -hmm. and how different people survive mm -hmm. and in some of those ways our advocacy and giving back to the community and trying to do as much as they can to to, to change the world mm -hmm. and transform it right and I think what you just said also talked about a campaign that we're launching about hashtag surviving is because we all survive in in such different ways mm -hmm. and I think what you just said shows that surviving doesn't always look like you know lying in your bed crying, although that's what my survival sometimes is, but survival can also be going out and like riding or going out and like putting mm -hmm. 
everything back to the community. So I really want to thank you for yeah. sharing that because I think that's yeah. super important for everyone to to hear. Yeah. For me, it's around the the impact you are having on young black girls and the way that your resilience is shifting right the way not just because i'm i'm not a young black girl i'm youngish i guess to shalina's grandmothers because i'm i'm young compared to her (laughs) but it's the impact that you're having on young black girls when they see you you know, with all that you've gone through, right, the arc of the trauma, and that you still show up, yeah. and you are still present, and you are still sort of re- refusing to be broken by yeah. this. I think I think that is what really. I'm getting all yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah, all yeah. I'm getting all weak. Yeah. Um. So, like Shalina, I I I want to thank you because I think I think you're fucking incredible. Um. I have a question which is a bit weird, nerdy. I like it. I know, right? <laughs> so we talk all the time about what our superhero characters and traits are. If you what what is your superhero strengths? Like what's my superhero like what's my power? Yeah, what's your superpower? You couldn't at least give me a note before we started. Because <laughs> <laughs> it had to be spontaneous. Um, to heal the... No. Um, uh, I think for myself, I think it, it it depends. It really depends. I mean, selfishly, I love to just go and... Um, part of me wants... like I So, I the joke is, is I always, you know how they say black people can't swim because they're racist and people, like not that black people are racist, but because people can't say, I can do a little bit of swimming, it's rough, uh, it don't look pretty. Um, but I, for me, I'd love to swim in the Atlantic Ocean and see where my ancestors' bloods and burials are. Mm. I think to be able to go and experience that and see all of the bodies and sacrifices of, of pain and trauma, I think is something that I would really want to see. Um, because it's something that we will never get to see and 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 it's it's just it's just like that's a giant graveyard the Atlantic Ocean is a massive graveyard and yet you know you'll never see anybody like like any government person you won't see Trudeau you won't see Andrew Shea, you won't see anyone call that a genocide because they won't even call murdered and missing yeah. women and ge- as genocide yeah. which it is and it's really harmful when it's like there have been many many genocides but yet indigenous peoples never get it either black or yeah. either being on this land who, who cares unless if you look more white then sure you can have a genocide and I think that's really a problematic way of moving through things and I think that's a really problematic thing so I would want to swim I'd want to go deep into that Atlantic Ocean if we find Atlantis and mm, here we go here we go let me tell you something mm, mm, I'll get to, you know then I don't need to do it no grant writing but but I think that uh, what I would also want is is and this one's cheesy um, but I really would want to plant. I I just want trees to just grow. Uh, Sometimes I just want to like touch my finger and go and ride a tree as it grows and just like 
just be on the tree lines and just be free. I've never heard this before. Yeah, I, I love trees. I think trees are really exciting and fun. And, and it's less to do with climate change and more to do with the fact that I love trees. Um, okay. but, uh, but no, but I think that like it's an important thing. Um, I think, so those are my, so I have my, um, my true superhero power that I want. I have my superpower that is for all selfish reasons. Well, they're all selfish. <laughs> um, but my practical, my practical one, if there was one thing I could cure or whatever, um, climate change. Because we need more time to deal with our issues. And I think that humans deserve that and reversing the inevitable. Um, and, you know, maybe even if I could reverse time back to 2001 and we just have the same mentality that we do now, yeah. we could have more time. Yeah. Um, because I think that it's just unfortunate. And the people who are going to be affected by climate change are, are people who look like me. And that's yeah. just, I mean, everybody, no, everybody. So but, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess just finishing up, um, is there anything else that you want to say, that you want to share that you know, you want to put out into the world and let people know. Can I, can I, and just to add to that, and because we were speaking to Shirley, a rather fabulous colleague, who said that, um, is there a question that you wish you'd been asked, right? In all the conversations that you've had, is there a question that you wish you'd been asked that would help you put out things into the world that you haven't put out? I feel like I feel like I just entered a podcast called Intimate Portrait because I feel like it's about my life, um, uh, which is something that I've never actually really been asked before about my family, about my because I don't like inviting people into my private life, especially I don't mind talking about my family and my aunties and things like that. But especially like my family, like it's not that I'm ashamed of them, but it's just like I it brings up a lot of hard uh, hard things, and I and I and I and I and I don't and I never want to discredit my parents because I know they come from deep love and yeah. and 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 they just they they raised the way that they knew and to be fair it's like they also raised especially my mom through her own trauma and recognizing my own mom's trauma is what allowed me to process my own yeah. and I think that's something that I left out and so it's like you know what would if why did you forgive your parents and I think that's a question I wasn't yeah. asked and I think is important to recognize because I recognize that like no matter what I still got to this point I was still raised, I'm still alive. Yeah. I might have a few bruises and a few pain, but like it just all it has has made me a stronger person and more devoted to community and you know and I'm not I'm, and I'm no longer um, at least um, uh, intentionally complicit in harm. At least I'm actively know what's going on because I feel stressed all the time about what's happening in the world and I'm like I'm on the right track. <laughs> um, I think the last uh, the question because I lost what the last question was, but I think it was about. Um, any last, any last things? Last, yeah. Things. Um, no, I think that um, that uh, I think when it comes to, and I know we talked more, we started talking more about um, being black and indigenous, but I think when it comes to being trans, and, and I think I'll leave it a, a bit here, is that these identities, these things, these you know, um, these these ways of being and my ways of being are not things that ever hinder me. Um, and I, I'm not saying that that it hinders anybody, but I think it's it allows, without being on the fringes and the intersects of society, it really allows me to connect with others. I haven't, I, I feel like if I was, you know, it, it, it almost allows me to do, while I have to do more emotional labor, 
sometimes I feel like I have to do less work because I know how how it feels to be the trans person in the black community, how it means to be the indigenous person in the black community, what it means to be the English person in the black community, what it means to be someone who suffers from mental health in the black community, and then you go into the indigenous community, what it means to be trans, what it means to, and these intersections kind of like, you know, when you see communities fighting with one another and you're like, you're sitting there going, <laughs> and, you, and you feel like that, I feel like, but I, I think that, you know, it's, it's my identities are are a lens into which I can be able to do the work mm. that I do. But my identities are never a crutch. And I think this is why I always argue with white supremacist and things. I'm like, what we're talking about, we, we might be talking about identities, yes, but what we're talking about is the byproduct of hatred and supremacy right. and yes. violence towards those identities, yes. not the identities themselves. Oh, yes. And so it's just like, but yet these identities are important because you need to name the trauma that's being harmed because you are the ones targeting out either once again, intentionally, or unintentionally, either complicitly, maliciously, or by force. Yeah. And so I think that, um, I think it's, which is once again, and I we said this off air, um, but I but I, I definitely want this to, to be the last thing that I say. And it's about whiteness. And I think that um, whiteness is something in which it's complicated. A lot of people that I know who identify as white <laughs> or, or, or who are of European ancestry often take that um, you know, I've seen many people in justice movements and social justice movements really trying to work with their guilt and really trying to do things better, but always seem to end up fucking up. Mm. And then turning that fucked up to then becoming a white supremacist because they ended up just going into the complete deep end based off of not understanding or listening to what actually needs. And this is goes the difference between an accomplice and an ally, right? And and I think that like a, a, a you know once again an ally is someone who is sharing the book on the sharing the thing on Facebook someone who is just renewing and be like oh yeah I'm an ally I support this while an accomplice is someone who will actually go there on the front lines with you mm-hmm. and have your back yeah. and will will be that person to be like oh, I'm here to look out for you but that's not just around issues that should just be in general as yes. human beings as people yeah. who care for one another it's just and and how we care one another is beating those systems of oppression and unfortunately anti-black racism racism and white supremacy is one of those systems of oppression that are really prevalent right now and there are people dying and so oftentimes it's really frustrating because it's like whiteness is a thing white privilege is a thing but as a person who's of european ancestry you are not defined by your whiteness you're defined by your actions that deem that are white mm-hmm. and and you are responsible we are all responsible but especially those upholding systems that don't work for everyone there's a lot of systems that we're accustomed to western customs things are like that with uh, and and many things that don't work for everybody so what do we do in order to improve that well you know it's it's not it's not to be you know and i think it's about listening but also fucking up and being like oh i fucked up today i'm gonna do better tomorrow and go back at it and i think and i also say to every white person who's listening or any european person don't matter if you're scottish polish irish study your own history study your own history of colonization not to compare it to contemporary colonization not to be like oh i also experienced it too so therefore i relate to your struggle because that's not it at all um because they look differently but 
to to recognize that your language is important your histories are important they should never be erased and invalidated um you know you have to deal in order to know yourself and in order for me to find myself i had to discover my history and my language so i think it's important that folks discover not only their language and their history um and learn their languages if they can but also deal with the difficult history my black nova scotians we're not we're not 100% solid we committed lateral violence by literally going with loyalists and uh, loyalists and um, and and Jamaican maroons and colonizing what is now Sierra Leone and creating Freetown and literally colonizing land that wasn't ours to begin we may have came from Africa we didn't go back to where we came from we colonized that and it's still colonized mm -hmm. and so that's a dark history that I have to deal with and and even though you know there there's so much like there's there's a lot of things that are more positive than that that relate to my culture I think that that's we all have things that we need to deal with and move through um, we're all complicit in some harm and it's how we navigate it and how we choose not to center ourselves but center community that really matters in the end yeah that's all I gotta say Jade <laughs> mic drop yeah my goodness that was a lot that was phenomenal thank you yes thank you so much for First of all, flying from Ottawa. Showing up. <laughs> and yeah, showing up and being here to have this important conversation that I think hopefully everybody on here can um, get to and understand yeah. and really like, you know, dismantle their own things. Yeah, and we know that you, you had a wobbly tummy. Mm. You weren't feeling so good. But the fact that you, you showed up and you stayed and you just, you went in. Yeah. And we are so, so, so privileged to have had, spent the that day with you. Yeah, yeah we really just are. spent the day with you because you're freaking awesome. You're awesome. As I told you, you, she yes. would be. Yes, yes, yes. So, so, so the way we end this usually is we do a check, check out. out. So I'm thinking that if we can uh, each kind of go around and talk about one thing that we really gain from this conversation or one thing leave you know a lasting a lasting impression that we got from this conversation what we'll walk away from um i can go first and your rating oh and our rating of the wine oh, yes. yes and jay didn't drink the wine because <laughs> she wasn't feeling good oh she's drinking now just take a chug <laughs> um i'll go first while jade's pouring her uh sip um, I actually like this wine. It's a compilation. What is it called? That's a blend. A blend, thank you. It's a white blend. <laughs> and so there's actually Riesling and Bedell in it. And then I think like a Pinot Grigio or something. But I actually really, really like it because I like a sweeter wine. And this is kind of in the middle. Yeah. So that's why I brought it because I know Neca likes a drier wine. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give this a four. A four. A four. Um, and I think what I'm taking away from this conversation is I'm going to say two points because... You know, I'm a rebel. Because you can. <laughs> I think the first thing I want to say is I'm so grateful for the way that you disrupt language, the way that you infiltrate the things that we're so used to hearing, and the way that you the way that you talk about um, accomplice versus an ally, the way you talk about like an arrival versus a settler, and like things like that, and those things aren't just useful for language purposes because language creates the picture that we all see through, but it's also super useful to actually understand, you know, historical context as well as like now. 
And so I want to thank you for that first. Um, and then the thing that I'm walking away from, which I never thought of before, was when you talked about the Atlantic Ocean being a graveyard. And I think that's something that, so um, I'm a diver, uh, so we dive in the oceans all the time. And we've dived all over the world. And I've, part of my like privilege and my ignorance and all of those things, I've never thought of the oceans being these graveyards. And then as soon as you said it, it was like, of course they are, right? And so I think that's the thing I'm gonna walk away with the most. So I wanna thank you for like really showing me that knowledge and understanding what a privilege it is for me to swim in those places mm -hmm. with my own choices, with, you know, and all of those things and being safe to go back in a boat and go wherever I'm going. So that's the thing that I'm gonna walk away from. Um, I was literally going to say almost the exact same thing, so, <laughs> but <laughs> reason being is that when you asked about the superpower, I was like, oh, that's so funny. Whenever anybody asks, like, oh, what superpower you would want, I always say breathing underwater because I love mm. being in the water. And then you said that I was like, I've literally never heard anyone else ever say anything about being in the water. And so that was just really interesting. And then I completely agree. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I have the same. And it was like, oh, yours is like, mine was like just frivolous. And I was like, it brings me peace. And yours is like this. Oh my God, my world view has changed yeah. based on like exactly what you said. Just like yeah. my <coughs> viewpoints and my privilege and like what has shaped how I've thought of things. And so I think that really was impactful. So I also wanted to thank you for that. Um, I also think that your willingness to share so much of yourself and your story with a room full of people that you just met, um, I'm really appreciative for. I think that that's really incredible and vulnerable and strong, and I am just really thankful that I got to be here for it and got to meet you, um, and that also that you were just like willing to so openly be and honestly be yourself. Um, yeah, that was really amazing. And so, yeah, not specifically anything, but just like you being here and being who you are, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so thank you. And oh yes, wine reading. I was also gonna give it literally a four. Like, I literally <laughs> actually was talking and I was like, wow, well, okay. <laughs> but yeah, also a four for me, yeah. Nice. Do you wanna go next, Jade? Yeah, I can go next. It's a takeaway and a what? A rating of the wine. And a rating of the wine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Zero to five. you know, I think what I took away is I like to hear myself speak. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, like but, what I, but what I've recognized is, I, and I think it's more of a, a, a thank you. You know, I did feel comfortable. The wine surely helped throughout the day. <laughs> um, but I think was allowing myself, you know, I went into very different directions and had like lots of different types of conversations. And that's usually who I am as a person, but allowing me to speak. And I could see that the two of you, the three of you were all really listening to me. And that was kind of, there was a moment there I was like, oh crap, people are listening to me. <laughs> when I'm also so used to some people being like, yes, yes. And some other people being like, yes, yes, yes. And yeah. so it was like really nice to, 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 to have that. And I think 
Um, and it was nice to talk about myself. I don't, I do talk about myself often when I, when I do things, but I don't really go into that much detail. Um, but, um, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I appreciate also the takeaways because sometimes I'll say things and don't actually understand if they act, what, what, like, if they, hit. If they like, because yeah. they're not meant to hit, they're just me shooting the shit. So, <laughs> and, and especially when I rant, right? So it's, it's never, you know, it always ends up being a teachable moment, but I never know what the lesson's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I think once again, it's just like, so um but i'm I'm definitely taking away uh, a positive vibe this has been an amazing time meeting all of you um and i feel like i need to see y'all more because you're doing good work you're doing great work and i think that this is really exciting and i'm also so honored that i am the first guest That's not a laugh track. Uh, not a laugh track, a clap track. Wait, wait. Clap track. Yeah, clap track. I'm. We're really glad that you're the first guest. Yeah. I don't think we could have done it better. No. No. Mm-hmm. And what's your rating on the wine? One to five. Uh-oh. Well, I'm a fan of red wine. Um, let me just do another another taste, okay. and, I'll, and I'll do the ASMR for the viewers. <laughs> I don't know what's the ASMR. Oh, the slurp. Yeah. Ooh. You gotta go home and look up ASMR on YouTube. Uh, I will. I will. Um, no, nope, not a good look. It's about a three. Okay. Um, okay. I'm not a fan of white wine, um, but it has this. There's. There must be. There's. There's. There's a kick to it. There's a. There's a. Um, there's a. Um, a. A. a, 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 a I was about to say persimmons, and I'm like, that is not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, there is a carbonation <laughs> oh, yeah. to to the drink, and I think. And there might be Chardonnay in there, so it yeah. feels a, it feels a little um, a, a differently. It's it's adequate. I, it's it feels okay, very, it feels very whipped. I'm so glad. It, just it so, feels whipped. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. And just so everybody knows, we did feed her red wine before. So oh oh, I'm so excited. I tried to. You were close. We were. We were. We tried. Say laugh track three times fast. No clap track. A clap track. Whatever. Whatever. Um, I am, what my takeaway is, this is such an important piece of our work, this whole podcasting, because what it does is that it, it, it brings in people who we love, Mm -hmm. who have important messages that need to go out and if we don't, if we didn't have this podcast, yeah, your voice, you know, I mean, your voice is huge out there. But it wouldn't echo it as would far not, as we can. It would not at all. So my takeaway is that we are doing really, really important work with this podcast. I'm also, um, I'm also really moved by Amanda, right? That just you showing up today. And how, without your facilitation, you know, this important work that we're doing, I, I can't do that. None of us can do it. <laughs> right? and it. And it talks about how, you know, the, the, again, we're talking about black indigenous, but the saying about it takes a village. It really takes a community of people who are like-minded to deliver the message. So I am, my takeaway is I'm profoundly grateful to our program producer, 
I am profoundly grateful to my co-host. I'm profoundly grateful to my team who tried to cough quietly in the background. But I am extremely grateful to our phenomenal, phenomenal first guest because everything you said, I was hanging on to it. Everything. I was hanging on to it. And the message that you were delivering needs to be heard by everybody. So we just need to figure out a way to get this like on Netflix. <laughs> we need to get on Netflix and, and have you as a regular. So I'll definitely come back. You come back. Excellent. Yeah, we'd love, love to have you back. We really, really would. Um, my wine rating, it's a bit sweet. It's a little bit. I tried. It's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> so I, you know what? I was going to do a two and a half. But then, oh. yeah, but then Jade, you stepped up, so I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I'm going to give it a three. So what is it, Amanda? A 3.5. It's a, a 3.5. 3. That's not bad. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> On that note, we want to say thank you all for listening. Yeah. If you have any topics or questions that you want us to talk about, please email us at podcast at womenatthecenter.com. And we just, once again, want to thank Jade so much for coming. We are so, 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 so grateful to have you, and I'm sure everybody that listened to this was just as grateful as us. Yeah, so thank you so much. Yeah. Do you have Instagram and all that stuff, or Amanda's going to put all that do you stuff? Want, yeah, do you want to call out your Instagram or your Abs- anything? Absolutely. I have two things, three things to say. First of all, my pronouns are she and her, in case you didn't hear that until the very end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I So I'm not a, I, I love social media, um, but I'm not a huge person, but you can follow me on Instagram at Jade the Diva. No space, it's just Jade the Diva. I'm with it. Um, four letter Jade. J-A-D-E. Yes. T-H-E. D. Diva. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as well as you can follow me on Twitter at Quay Jade. That's a K W E J A D E. And uh, yeah, and then you can, once you do that, you can find me on everything. Amazing. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Bye.